Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have today two very special guests, dear friends of mine for many years. Julia Johns and Karen Ostman are breeders of Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. And I absolutely adore this breed. And we are going to do a conversation all about Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. So, yay, I'm excited. Welcome, you guys. Hello. Thank you. Okay, so here we're going to do a quick introduction. Karen, we're going to start with you. Give us a quick overview of your time in Cavaliers and what brought you to this breed? What made you fall in love with them? I have been in this breed for quite a bit over 30 years now. It's probably going closer on to 40. The Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, literally I fell in love with actually a painting. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And my grandpa explained to me that there was a land Spaniel. And I said, those dogs are just so cute. And he said, but I know something that's a lot prettier than that. And he introduced me to the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and I fell madly in love with them. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. And you have bred how many national specialty winners now? Oh, and the AKC won. And in the CKC, you see before they became AKC3. Yes. Excellent. And Julia? Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. So I actually grew up in dog shows. I was two weeks old at my first show. I can remember you (laughs) since you were at least eight. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, My parents had Rottweilers and I wanted to show dogs and they would not let me show the Rotties for obvious reasons. Because you were tiny. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually saw this Cavalier at a national specialty for Rotties. And I was like, I like them, mom. <laughs> and we started looking around and we found a local Cavalier. His name was Garth Brooks and with Don Rogers going back. I'm pegging it all <laughs> right now. <laughs> Fell in love. I mean, never really turned back from there. So I've had Cavaliers over 20 years at this point And I can't imagine having anything else. They're literally perfect. <laughs> they are very adorable. And you have had some very nice success with your dogs as well. I have, yeah. I've been working with Erica and Rachel of Orchard Hill Cavaliers, and we actually won the 2019 National Specialty. There we go. was our last, sadly, National Specialty. Well, that's welcome (laughs) to COVID world, right? So that's good. So we have some excellent experts here to talk about what is one of the most favored small companion pets. These dogs are a good size. They're a lovely temperament. They come in a fun variety of colors. Everybody loves a Cavalier. 
So, Karen, I'm hoping you can give us a little bit of history, like how long has the breed been around? This is a breed of the nobility, if I understand correctly, yes? Well, the history right now is a little bit in question, right? I think Denise Holmes does, is doing some research on it and finding some new information, which is interesting, but we have been told for the last few years is that they were owned by royalty during the 17th century. And you can often see these small spaniels in paintings from the Renaissance times. Two British monarchs, King Charles and his son, Charles II, they were especially devoted to a variety of toy spaniels. The diarist Samuel Pepys is definitely the one everybody mentions as like the first special cavalier. And Charles II was more interested in breeding spaniels than ruling Britain. (laughs) Seems like a much better plan to me, but what do I know? (laughs) Spaniels were a great favorite of British aristocrats in the early 19th century, and a line of the Blenheims at the time were called red and white spaniels, were bred at the Blenheim Palace. As the time went bright, went on, There was an offering, a wealthy American named Roosevelt Eldridge offered a sizable amount of cash for dogs to be brought to Kraft's dog show that resembled most the original Cavalier King Charles Spain and what he thought what they should look like, which, you know, that's one person's opinion. And... There were four in the beginning, and I was told that he did this at least two times. Interesting. Okay, so Julia, I'm going to have you give us the breakdown on the variety of colors that are available and what they are called or considered within the breed. So as Karen mentioned, there's the red and white, which we call the Blenheims. We have a tricolor, which has black, tan, and white on it, which should have little tan eyebrows, tan under the ears, and tan under the little tail, and should be well broken, which are the Blenheim and Chai make up our party colors. Then we have our black and tans, which are marked just like a Rottweiler, a little bit more hair. More hair, <laughs> less dog. And then there is the all red, which is a ruby, right. and they make up our whole colors. And the ruby should be red like the Irish setter. And very little white on either the ruby or the black and tan. So they're called our whole colors because they should be all solid red or solid black and tan. Generally, all a Blenheim or a tricolor is is a ruby with a recessive white sheen, or a tricolor is a black and tan with a recessive white sheen. I absolutely did not know that. I learned something new today, which is the best part of my job, I have to tell you. And so that is fabulous information for breeders of Cavaliers or people who aspire to be. And so talk a little bit about how this breed is to live with. I mean, I've been around them some. I've shown a few. I showed one of Garen's. But share with us your experience. And again, we'll just go from one to the other, starting with Karen. How are they as companions to live with just by themselves? 
I think the most attractable part that I find in a cavalier personality is its versatility. If you match the owner right, I don't let people choose their puppy. I actually match the puppy to the owner. And the reason that is, is like, if you're telling me more about your life, I will know that you're maybe wanting to have a more athletic dog that will play fetch two, three hours a day if you let them, that will go jogging with you, that will go hiking with you in the mountain. The Cavalier is actually quite an athletic dog. On the other hand, if you're in the wheelchair and you just want a loving companion, but the dog needs to be mentally sound enough to be comfortable around the wheelchair, then the Cavalier can adapt to that as well. They can adapt to be a service dog. I have several seizure assistant dogs that are actually in full work. I have a dog that assists a blind young lady. And he was an adult dog when he went to that young lady. And the reality is it's the intuitiveness this breed has. Mm. They have an ability to really sense the mind of their owner, which makes a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel a rather difficult dog to show. But if you do know (laughs) your dog, you do not know how to show that dog. (laughs) Yes. And it makes for a number of owners wrapped around the little Cavalier's furry paw. (laughs) (laughs) I often look at the person that picks up the puppy and then look at the puppy and assure the puppy that that person will be well-trained in a very short time. (laughs) I think that 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 is absolutely on point. So, Julia, talk a little bit, and I think Karen alluded to this, and I think it's one of the things that to me is most interesting about the Cavalier particularly. They are toy spaniels. Like the ones I've been around actually go and like chase things. And I mean, they have more sporting drive than I would have expected them to. Oh, absolutely. They're almost have too much sporting drive sometimes. (laughs) I live in an apartment now and we have a little duck parade that comes around about this time now, actually. And I have to plan our walks accordingly because my boys will go full point mode. They're all about those ducks. You do have to kind of warn your pet people a little bit about the instinct. That's still there, even hundreds of years later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. My Cavaliers, I trust off-leash. I love them dearly, but they see a leaf and they think it's a bird. Or a duck. (laughs) Yeah, or a duck. Yeah, yeah. They're not the smartest spaniel in that respect. It's a good thing they're pretty. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so as apartment-dwelling dogs, Julia, this is a good one for you to speak to. I mean, I know Karen's, I've been to Karen's place. She has a beautiful place out in the country. You have an apartment. How are they in an apartment? I mean, are they barky? We have this vision of small dogs being yappy. So let's talk about that. They can be a little noisy. I mean, when I first come home, they're excited to see me. And that's usually the extent of our barking. It's the welcome committee, as we call it. 
But after that, I mean, they do calm down because they've had their greetings and we'll either be settling down on the couch, go for our walk. They definitely do love our daily routines that we have set up for them. But they have great off switches. They do. Yeah. You correctly say day. <laughs> if have a book of Cavaliers, but if you have one Cavalier, there is probably rarely a breed that's more trainable than a Cavalier. Correct. Yes. I would say that in general, as a single companion dog, the Cavalier is not a yappy dog. No. I describe it like this. If you have five children, your household will be a lot noisier than your household will be with one child. It's no different with Cavaliers. I think that's super, super great point, Karen. And I said they're little furry feet. Let's talk a little bit about grooming. Because part of the elegance, part of the beauty of the Cavaliers, those beautiful ears and their little slipper feet. So, Karen, you tend to have a good number of dogs. So talk to us about what does a grooming routine look like? Well, number one, as a breeder, I really try to breed for a coat that is reasonable to maintain. I like a nice coat. I like nice furnishings. I like beautiful ears. Nobody will say that, you know, I'm not extremely fond of a nice-looking Cavalier, <laughs> but they are definitely coats that are easier than other coats. And in general, a Cavalier should be a dog that if you brush him three or four times a week and maybe give him a bath every other week, you should have a dog that's pretty easily to condition and maintain. Mm-hmm. Right. And Julia, talk to us about those slippers. They're supposed to have those furry little Sasquatch feet. They are. They are. <laughs> I mean, kind of going back to with Karen, I mean, they, the good coats, I mean, that's definitely something to look forward to. Like, we do need a good coat in our Cavalier. They should almost be like a one-towel dog. You shouldn't be towel-drying them with multiple towels. It kind of dry them off, blow-dry them a little bit. That Every two weeks, that's a great maintenance for them. This is something I ask in a lot of my breeds that I do interviews about. Do you find different coat texture and quality in the different colors? Oh, that is a good one. They shouldn't. I'm just curious. Like, do you (laughs) want to? I was waiting for you, Julia. (laughs) I know. They shouldn't. (laughs) They shouldn't, but... Coat texture should all across the breed be exactly the same. On the other hand... The black sometimes does lay a little bit thicker than the white, especially in dry color, and that can be somewhat challenging. But otherwise, I really think if you breed for a good normal texture coat, they really should all have a silky coat that's medium in length. There is no undercoat to it. So that's what we really would like to see. Mm -hmm. Going back to the slippers on the feet, I mean, I do live in Seattle, Washington, where it rains. So, I mean, my adult Cavaliers that aren't showing anymore, I do trim the little hairs on their feet just as a maintenance. They run around outside. I want to have them come in, towel dry them off because they're usually soaking wet. (laughs) Or even after a walk, it is definitely a little bit more easier to maintain 
if they're retired and I do trim their feet. So I will admit that. Okay. All right. See, my time as a pet groomer, I was like, I can't touch those feet. Pet grooming, even the ears, I'll trim them a little bit too, just as a little bit easier to maintain. Okay. Especially when we do have quite a few. So. (laughs) Right. More than one adds up in your three to four times of brushing. And I think it's important to note that's three to four times a week. So, you know, when you're sitting there watching TV on Netflix, you know, (laughs) you're combing through those ears to make sure that there's no mats coming up because once they're there, they're much more difficult to remove than they are to prevent. Yeah. I will say that is the perfect way to brush them out. I love it. It's like a nightly routine we do. Right. The dog's comfortable, you're comfortable, they can sit on your lap, it's almost like a therapy session for everyone, you're petting your dog, it's a good way to condition them at night. I like it. The main reason for matting in the cavalier coat is often static electricity. So it really helps if we maybe use a spray when we brush the dog so we can keep the static electricity to a minimum and you will actually see that the dog will have a lot less problem with matting. So pro tip there, guys. You think like a conditioner spray? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You can even dilute it in like a little spray bottle. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a heavy, heavy conditioning. No. Oh, I will say I learned that from Peter Green, actually. Mist and brush. Mist and brush. I learned a Pat Rogers, so what can I say? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Teresa May has a spray for a straightening iron. For our hair, it works beautifully for a cavalier coat. Inexpensive and readily available everywhere. Teresa May, there you go. I love it. Pro tip. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the breed life, health, and longevity. What are some of the health tests? And Julia, I'll have you start. Some of the health tests that you do in the breed that people should be looking for when they're talking to breeders. There's quite a few. I will start off saying that MVD, which is the mitral valve disease, is in our breed. Most and that's hearts, right? Heart, yeah. And most Cavalier pet people, when they come to us, they tell me, I want to find a Cavalier or I want a Cavalier, but they have heart problems. Well, that's true. But if you're asking the breeders for their parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, I mean, you're going back several generations. Are you doing your heart auscultations? If needed, are you doing your heart echoes, echocardiograms? long as you're going to a breeder who's doing that, your chances are going to be way less. Is that a guarantee? No. There are no (laughs) guarantees. Mother Nature is a wicked mistress, as we say. Yes, but it's definitely going to decrease your chances of your dog coming up with MDD. Okay. Other things, I mean, we should be doing our patellas, which is done at a year, hips. I'm from the Roddy, so hips and elbows. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Eyes. We should be eyes. doing eyes, yeah. I mean, we don't typically as a breed have eye issues, but... Good, okay. I mean, all our breeders are pretty on the there, ball. There is some dysplasia, especially when you go into the whole color lines. So that's something to keep in mind and just testing for it. So we are careful. There are two different kinds of retinal dysplasia. There's the geographical, 
retinal dysplasia and then there is retinal dysplasia that detaches from the side of the eyes. Wow. Okay. It's not terribly common, but it's common enough that it's important to test for that for a breeding program. It should not be any problems necessarily in a companion dog if you place the dog and say, I don't want to breed from it. But if you keep breeding from it, then we will have retinal issues to the point that the dog actually will go blind. So that's something we're trying to prevent. And that's very very smart to do. Well, it's great to hear that breeders are on top of that. Like I always want to hear about a breed where the breeders are catching something early and preventing it from becoming. My concern in Cavaliers is actually some serious anxiety that I see all across the breed, which I try to get breeders aware of. That's something we need to keep in mind and be careful when we breed those dogs. Why the temperament in our breed is the paramount and foundation of our little dogs. Absolutely. And actually an increase in that over the last 10, 15 years, how... We have decreased our gene pool significantly. Okay. So definitely when you're looking for a dog, you want to, as much as possible, meet as many members of the family so that you know what kind of dogs, what kind of temperaments they have in the home and all of that. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. It really is key because there are certain lines that we as breeders know not to go to because they do have temperament issues, but I mean, that's what our breed is known for is how amazing they are. And that's what we need to keep as a foundation. I think more importantly than even meeting is that you trust your breeder, to be honest. You know, if you are having a good conversation with somebody and I always tell puppy buyers, if you feel like you're in a store and you're getting a sales pitch, (laughs) that's probably not the breeder you should be buying from. No. In every breeding that we do, in any breed, there can be this dog who is, you just don't quite know where is that personality coming from. And then sometimes we just have to be upfront. And it's amazing. Most of the time, we will find that right match for that dog. And that will be a key importance for that dog as well to have a good life. Right. And so again, we talk about this all the time on the Good Dog Pod. We talk about it on Pure Dog Talk. Breeders and buyers matching the right puppy, the best puppy from a given breeding with the right home. And buyers, people who are looking for a new companion, thinking long and hard about the best fit for their family. So speaking in that terms, who makes a great Cavalier owner and who would you not recommend a Cavalier for their family. Well, I know. Everybody should have a Cavalier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I think um, someone that wants a dog that follows them to the bathroom, even at midnight, it's a dog that has to have human interaction. I mean, if you're gone all day, even if you have four kids, you work all day and then you're gone with those four kids to baseball games, you know, whatever activities you have. 
The cowboy is not a good fit. It's going to become an extremely lonely dog. So yeah, it, the dog does have to have human interaction. So, I mean, there are breeds who are more aloof. There are toy breeds who are more aloof than a Cavalier. A Cavalier is very much that joined at the hip. I won't say needy because that has a negative connotation, but very, very attached. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think that if you work 10, 12 hours a day, Cavaliers, it's not for you. It really isn't. They truly need that human interaction. That's their whole purpose in life is to be your companion. Yeah, if you have a great boss who lets you take a Cavalier to work with you, then yeah, it's right. the best dog you could ever have. Right. That's true. Right. Or doggy that's daycare. Also- I mean, there are options, but generally speaking, you're talking about families that really want to have a constant companion literally yes. glued to them. Another child that sleeps better through the night. There you go. Okay. Better, better usually. So, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. With all of that information, the Cavalier life expectancy, how long are we going to expect to live with this companion that we're looking to acquire? I would love to say 12 years and up. I mean, I have two 15-year-olds at home right now. Mm -hmm. And to me, if I can't breed a dog that lives over 12, 13 into their teens, something's wrong. I love Mm -hmm. these dogs too much for them to die at five. I used to give exactly the same answer, but I had one time, we have MVD in our breed, and I used to be what people call a health Nazi today. And I learned a very important lesson. I had a phone call, and this dog actually died at nine years and six months, and I was very unhappy and rather upset about it. And the lady was like, don't be upset. Please don't be upset about it. And I said, what do you mean? Yes, I really work really hard and I'm going to have to figure out where I went wrong and everything. And she just said, please, I want you to promise me something. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, we lived for nine and a half years with this dog. It was the most awesome years of our lives. He was such a cool dog, and I don't want you to be upset and not sell us another dog. And it made me a little bit more humble about things. Why We have some control over life and death, but not all the control. Right. So... I think, you know, if a dog has a really good quality life, the dog should live as long as possible. But I've also bred dogs that are 17 years and older, and I have to be very honest, the quality of life was not that great anymore. I mean, there was no reason that I should have let that dog go, but also the dog did have quite a bit of arthritis and other issues that then contributed to a rather not so good quality life. So I try to say if a dog has 10 awesome years, I would like it to be between 10 and 14. I can be happy with that. Well, and speaking of quality of life, we, not just Cavaliers, but us as owners, we are our dogs. So we need to understand Like, if they're 17 and there's not that quality of life, it's heartbreaking. 
Geriatric care in dogs is just as challenging as it is for us. Dogs yeah. have just as much trouble, you know, as they get old as we do. And I think one thing that we might need to mention is what is the most important gift you can give to a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel for longevity and health is a good weight and dental <laughs> clean. Yeah. Oh yes. my gosh. Yes. Let's, Julia, <laughs> you are a veterinary technician. Tell yeah. us about dental well, clean, please. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, the thing that most people might not realize is dental health is directly related mm. to heart health. <laughs> Yes. And all over <laughs> and also overall health, yeah. So Arthritis, all kinds of autoimmune diseases. It's huge. It is. So I mean, can we all brush our dog's teeth daily? Maybe not. Should we? Yes, absolutely. But even twice a week, weekly, I'd start with that right. if we can do that on a weekly basis. Right. And regular veterinary dental cleaning yeah. and all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Your money on the $150 dog bed, put it in a little account, buy a $20 dog bed, put the rest in an account and use it for dental care at your veterinarian's office in the dog's later life. Yeah. I think that'd be a good investment. Yeah. Well, there is also certain pet insurance as well that will help with the dental. As long as you're following your veterinarian's advice and keeping up with everything, I think they'll help pay for some of that too. So it's not a bad thing to look into if you get a, a new right. puppy. Look right. at health insurance. Health insurance is a good thing. It is. <laughs> it is. Okay. So good weight, which I think is important for all of us. Clearly, I didn't follow that. I'm saying but I think that Karen makes such a great point that as a general rule of thumb, too many people in this country are literally loving their dogs to death. Yes. And a healthy weight is a lot leaner than many people realize. Mm -hmm. One thing I definitely tell my pet people is when you put your hands on their ribs, you want to be able to actually feel them. You don't need to see them. It's too thin, but you need to at least loosely feel them. You can't feel them and you have to hunt for them. Yeah, if you can pinch an inch on your Cavalier, you have a problem. Yeah, let's look into Okay. is not okay. Absolutely not. All right. Well, any other parting words of wisdom for anyone considering a Cavalier to add to their lives? Your life will never be the same again. <laughs> you will feel a genuine commitment and love from your dog. And the dog would like to have that same thing in return. So if you're afraid of it, then try a Cavalier. <laughs> Start with a Cavalier before the boyfriend. Is that what you're telling me? Okay, good. <laughs> Got it. I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Cavaliers, they truly will change your life. The love you give them, they're going to give back to you tenfold. They mm -hmm. love you so unconditionally. Whether you have a bad day, they're your perfect companion. If you're crying, they'll come up, love on you. They give you exactly what you need in life. But they are also called comfort spaniels. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Netflix, a Cavalier, popcorn, and a glass of wine. Okay, that sounds like a night to me. <laughs> That's my everyday. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, ladies, thank you so much for your generosity of time and spirit and sharing about your beautiful little dogs. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.